ready? to be a light to the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech olam, borei pri hagafin, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech olam. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruchu, the call to worship. Baruchu et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamoka. Mihamocha Baelim Adonai Mihamocha Nedar Bakodesh Noratehilot O Sefele 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu et derech haYeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et Hashabbat la asot et Hashabbat la Doratam berit olam b'nei Ovayan b'nei Yisrael oti leolam. Keshashet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayenefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Aronai Elochecha. V'chol levavcha, uvchol nafshecha, uvchol meyodecha. V'hayu ha-devarim ha-alei asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. V'shinantam levanecha, v'debartabam, v'shivtecha, v'beftcha, uvlechtecha, v'derech, uvshuchbecha, uvkumicha. Uksartam leot al yedecha, v'hayu letotafot benanecha. Uktaftam al mezuzot betechel uvishorecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. My mind to Calvary, where Yeshua bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet. 
Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion Land Ministries. Welcome to our Erev Shabbat broadcast. And I'm here to share with you our Haftor portion of this Sabbath that goes with our portion about Lekha, about uh, the story of how Abraham begins to build a relationship with God. Uh, it, you know, one of the scriptures I always love about the comparison between Noah last week and with Abraham this week is, is the scripture says that Noah walked with God, but Abraham walked before God. And the picture that is given there is if you're a small boy, uh, you, you put your hand in the hand of your father, and you walk with him. Um, I have a, a grandchildren and little ones, and they don't go anywhere outside without being in my hand and in the hand of a parent uh, with them. So they walk with the parent. However, as the, as the children mature and become, uh, you know, where they can follow instructions and so forth, you don't walk with your 10-year-old uh, by the hand. Oh, you might, but, but not normally. Normally, the, the older child walks before uh, the parent or walks behind the parent. He, he's in the area, but he, he's on his own. And the one who walks before doesn't see the father unless they turn around. They don't normally see. So how do they know where to go? Because they listen to the father give instruction, verbal instruction, go to the right here, go to the left, we're going through that door, uh, things like that. And so the idea is that Abraham spiritually has matured to the point that he can hear verbal instructions from God and that he will then carry him out. Well, if you go into the story of Abraham, that's exactly what you hear. Abraham hears the instruction, Lord, get up out of your father's house, I will take you to a place. And so he follows the instructions of God. So we have that basic relationship. This Haftor portion is going to be addressing some of those things. It's going to be addressing the relationship that we have with God that was manifested to us in the uh, relationship between Abraham and God. With that introduction, let me take you to Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to begin at chapter 27. Again, I want to read some of this to you before we comment on it. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due to me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know... Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. 
Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will walk and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Now, I'm certain you've heard that last verse before. It's a very common verse. Uh, they always like to uh, put it on plaques and pictures. You get out of the Christian bookstore. You can buy one of these things, stick it on your wall, and um, you're wondering, okay, that's nice. Uh, boy, it would be nice if we could do that, but what is that? Well, if you really look at the context of what has been given to us here in this large paragraph that goes hand in hand with the story of Abraham, is it's, it's like Abraham, if you're doing the will of God, he will strengthen you to accomplish it, and you will accomplish it beyond the measure of what an average man does. You know, a man runs, he gets weary. Well, what if you ran and you didn't get weary? Remember, go back to the story of Abraham. He was given a promise that he would father a child when he was beyond the years to father children. His wife, who was beyond years to bear a child, bore that child for him. And you have the story of that promise going forth, and yet God accomplished much with him. In fact, let's just go a step further. After he had Ishmael through Hagar, the handmaid, and had Isaac, which was the promised son that came through Sarah, when Sarah passed away, Abraham, as the scripture tells us, went on to marry again and fathered a whole bunch of children, sons, which is what is constituted as the Arab world today. Not only is he the father of Israel, he's the father of all of the Arab people in the Arab nations. He did something that was even beyond. He just never got tired. He just kept going. Well, that's what this passage is about. It ties back to uh, the relationship that uh, Abraham had with God to accomplish all those things. Only now he's saying to all of Israel, and he poses it in a very interesting question. And the question goes like this. So here's Jacob, here's the, uh, the children of Israel, and they're going through life, and things get tough, get very difficult. And they're looking around, where, where's God to save me? You know, oh, gee, I, you know, got this great story about God working with us, Israel, and so on. And here we are in this mess, and where in the world is God? Boy, the last thing that you want to say to God when you're having a problem is don't question whether or not he is present. Uh, that's what our ancestors did at Kadesh Barnea. When they heard the bad report about the people that were in the promised land before they crossed into the promised land, they heard this bad report, heard that there were giants living there and some of the Nephilim and and we're like grasshoppers compared to them, and they, they got faint-hearted, their hearts melted, and they were cowards, and they gave up. And one of the statements they made in the midst of that is the question, is God in our midst? Where's God? Where did he go? And boy, did that irritate the Lord. 
In fact, that's when he made the decision, 10 times those people have tested me, and therefore I'm going to give the wilderness to them. They're going to die in the wilderness. I will take their children. We'll go and take the promised land. Uh, here is Israel uh, echoing that same kind of mistake. Now, let me, let me bring this up to the update, the modern thing up for us. At the moment, uh, as I share this broadcast with you, I'm, uh, I'm, oh, I'm 72. Uh, this very next year, I'll be 73. And I gotta, I gotta admit to you, and so forth, I'm at the point where I can't carry things very good. I certainly can't climb on a ladder. I can't bend down and get on my knees to fix anything. It's a, it's, I need a five-ton crane to get me off the ground. Um, and other friends and so forth have to help me immensely. When I walk too far, I get dizzy, okay? Uh, it's tough. I mean, I, I'm, I'm physically limited uh, as to what I can do. How in the world am I going to make it through three and a half years of the Great Tribulation and all the things we're going to have to experience? How am I going to do that? I'm going to do it the same way Abraham did. I'm going to do it the same way Abraham did. He traveled, went to this strange place. God strengthened him. And in the midst of all of that, when he was 75 years old, he got told that he would father a son. You know what? He didn't have that son until he was 100 years old. He didn't even get the promise for 25 years. So he had to wait and endure and all that. But he didn't, he didn't give up. He believed the promise. And his faith was counted as righteousness. And he's the example that is given to us of justification by faith that Paul teaches in the book of Romans. Well, the same thing applies to us. We are descendants of Abraham. We're part of that family. The promises that God made to Abraham are the same promises made to us. And he told Abraham, you'll be able to do it. And he did it. Now he's told us, we're going to go through this scenario we call the Great Tribulation. And he said, you're going to make it. You're going to escape, survive, and endure all the way to the end. You're going to make it. Obviously, my quote, physical limitations are not part of the equation of me making it. In fact, my physical limitations and so forth are simply going to show to everyone else how powerful God is and how he can sustain his servant. Now, I'm not the only one in this bucket. There are a ton of brethren that I've met. I know this is the question they got. You know, they keep the, one of the most frequent questions I get when we have an open discussion about the Great Tribulation, he said, well, I've got these chronic problems. I mean, uh, you know, I've got to have this medicine. I gotta... So do I. i got diabetes. i got to have insulin. Okay? What, what are we going to do? What do we do about these chronic things? Well, this was wonderful verse, and I believe it's in Psalm 75, recounting Israel coming out of Egypt, in which it says, and there were none infirmed among them. Now, I'd like to believe, and in fact, I, I have to believe, that what God did for my ancestors coming out of Egypt, he's equally going to do for us when we come out of this world, and they went through the wilderness, and we go through the Great Trib, and they were on a journey to the Promised Land, and we're trying to get to the kingdom. That he's going to do something similar for us. So, 
you know, some of the people we have in our, in our uh, uh, congregation, some of the audience that I speak to, you know, quite honestly, a lot of the audience that listens to me, they're over 50 years old. And that's about the time when your mortality starts kicking in and, and revealing itself to you. All of a sudden, there's a huge transition in your life after 50 than there was before 50. Before, you know, back when you were in your 20s, 20s, well, you were bulletproof. And then when you got in your 30s, you could do anything. And anybody challenged you, you were going to go do it. About 40, you know, they start telling you you're over the hill, but you don't believe it. You get to 50, and you go, gee, I guess I am over the hill. You get to 60, wow, now you better be thinking about retirement because you can't keep working. You, you're looking for how do I get out of this routine of having to work every day. You get to 70, and you go, oh, God, what do we have planned next today? Because it's getting rugged. And then, of course, by the time you get 80 or 90, you know, you just say, you know, I think I'm just going to shut up because everything hurts. And it makes everybody upset when I complain all the time. Um, and here we have this audience, and here's Monty sharing all this wonderful stuff that the prophecy talks about. We could be the last generation, and that we could be the ones going through the great tribulation to get to the kingdom. And it's like, yeah, I want to get to the kingdom, but, you know, do you, do you really think I can make it the first week, the first year, and that three-and-a-half-year thing there? You might as well be telling me i got to run a Pikes Peak Marathon. I mean, up the mountain and down the mountain, 25 miles. And I would look at you and I'd go, you really want to kill me, don't you? If I tried to run up Pikes Peak, it, I think I'd have a heart attack. I, mean, I think I would be like suicide. Very painful suicide, I might add. And yet God says, I can strengthen you. I can get you to do things you never thought could be done. And he's talking about our person. That's what he told Abraham. Hey, get leave your father's house. He should be retiring. Leave your father's house. We're going to go do a new thing. We're, a new thing? Yeah, we're going to, your whole life is going to radically change, and you're going, to, you're going to turn into a totally different person because I'm going to do it with you. In fact, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, he said. What? I haven't even fathered a child yet, let alone a nation. Yep, I'm the one that's going to be able to do it. Hey, by the way, look up in the heavens, and you see the stars? That will be like your, your descendants will be even more than that. I don't know about you, but if I ever get out in the dark and I look up and look at the stars, I'm just overwhelmed, just in awe of a creator for it. Um, this is a tough call for a lot of us personally. We like to talk about Abraham, we study about Abraham and so forth, but here's the prophet. This is God talking to Israel, all of us, the descendants of Abraham, and saying, look, you think that I'm not around, not paying attention, don't know about the weaknesses you have, don't know anything about the struggles you have, but I am here, I am present, I know exactly what you need, and I'm going to do it. 
you are going to mount up with wings like eagles. You will run and not get tired. You will walk and not become weary. Now, I know that's the body I will have in the millennial kingdom, but can I get that capability here and now to go through the end of the age transition? Because that's what I'm going to need if I'm going to make it through the Great Tribulation, three and a half years. I'm going to have to have that kind of capability that, that God gave to Abraham. And so will a whole bunch of us. Um, here's God through the prophet Isaiah saying, same thing that happened to Abraham, I'm going to do with you. Now he goes on to say further, this is chapter 41. Coastlands, listen to me in silence and let the peoples gain new strength. Let them come forward. Let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. Who has aroused one from the east, whom he calls in righteousness to his feet? He delivers up nations before him and subdues kings. He makes them like dust with his sword and a wind-driven chaff with his bow. He pursues them, passing on in safety by a way he has not been transferring, trans, uh, transversing uh, with his feet. Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first with the last. I am he. Boy, that's a statement in which that God emphatically wants to understand who are we dealing with when we're dealing with God about this issue. The powerful expression here of verse 4, I'm the first and I am the last, this is a, an incredible biblical Torah concept about God. It begins with Genesis 1.1, and goes all the way to the Messiah having a conversation with John in the book of Revelation. The first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet are Aleph and Tav. We find this word, Aleph and Tav, in the most interesting places throughout Scripture when it's referring to the things of God. And in fact, it's kind of a quandary for the translators about what to do with it. In the case of Genesis 1-1, they just don't translate the word. They skip over it. In Zechariah 10, where the verse says, and they will look upon him whom they pierced, there's no Hebrew words for him or whom. It says Aleph Tav. They will look upon Aleph Tav, they pierced. Yeshua himself said, I am the first and the last. And but he didn't say in Revelation 1, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's Greek. I assure you the Messiah, Hebrew Messiah, did not speak Greek to a Hebrew prophet. He said, I'm the Aleph and Tav. There are a host of other places. The story of redemption, Genesis 37, verse 12. When we read that, it talks about Jacob sending Joseph to see to the welfare of the flock and many translators will say Jacob's flock or his father's flock. It'll never just say the flock. You know what is the Hebrew word sitting in that text that in place of father and, and Jacob? The word Aleph Tav. Joseph was sent to see to the welfare of the Aleph Tav flock. You and I are part of the Aleph Tav flock. 
So when God makes this statement here emphatically, verse 4, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he, we're talking about the God who is the shepherd of us. We're God's flock. We're the ones that the story of redemption has been brought to. We're the ones that's going to be there at the end. We're the ones that we have a beginning. From the, and this is the great story of the scriptures. He's reminding of us, us and telling us to come forth to him and listen to what he has to say. Now, let me go a little bit further. I have a little bit more time here. Uh, verse 5, chapter 41. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and have come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. So the craftsman encourages the smelter, and he who smooths metal with the hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, saying of, the, of soldering, It is good, and he fastens it with nails that it should not totter. Um, verse 6, the coastlands, all the people. We are living in the days, which is way beyond anything I've seen in my lifetime, where the average citizens in the communities and around the world are afraid, really afraid. Like in previous generations when we had world wars, afraid. There's things happening, there's ominous tones taking place, future threats were emerging for us, and the people are afraid. And one of the things in this last year with the pandemic that we've had, every once in a while we've been trying to say, hey guys, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. The Lord said this would be part of the beginning of sorrows. He said this would be part of the world we're going through and there's a lot of people in the world who decided I don't want to take the vaccine even though the government's mandating it and so forth in fact I saw a recent report I don't know how accurate this is but it seemed to be pretty reasonable and stable in all the nations of the world there's about 30 percent of every nation in the world refuses to take the vaccine about two-thirds of the people in all the nations have taken it. The other 30% or so don't want to take it, and they're resisting it. Um, and there's threats coming to the 30%. The majority is through the lead, not the people, but the leadership of those people is threatening people. So we're feeling threatened. And so now, Monty, you want to add, throw in, oh, the Great Tribulation's coming? People are afraid, and they're concerned. And that's what he's talking about. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and have come. But then it says each neighbor encourages the next neighbor. And that's what's kind of going on in the faith right now. We need to be encouraging our fellow brethren. We're going to make it. Don't worry about that. You know, the Lord's with us. He knows how to deliver us. Encourage our brethren uh, for it. Verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. That's the key verse as to why this is about Lechlachon. You whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and have called from the remotest parts and said to you, 
You are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. And listen to these words for the present day. Do not fear, I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I would uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who continue with, contend with you will be nothing and will perish. You who, who will have those who quarrel with you, but not find them. Those who war with you will be nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says, do not fear, I will help you. You know, all those people that are trying to oppress us right now, and will be oppressing us in the near future. And make no mistake about it, that's coming. In the days of the Great Tribulation that we're so afraid of, they're going to die. When the Great Tribulation comes, those judgments are going to fall, and people are going to be dying. Who's going to be dying? The enemies of God, our enemies. They're going to be dying. In fact, it's going to be a slaughter. Um, the Lord's going to take care of it. If you and I were to mount up a, a militia defense, we couldn't do a drop in the bucket compared to what God's getting ready to do to our enemies. In fact, we're going to get to witness it, how it takes place. You see, our vindication comes from the Lord, and he's promised us that. And he said specifically here, you remember all you people for where I've called back to myself from the remotest parts of the earth? You who are part of Abraham's family, I'm bringing you back and I'm going to be defending you just like I did with Abraham. Abraham had some conflicts, but he was defended by the Lord and he was able to accomplish the things the Lord wanted him to do. And I believe that we will do the same thing. Verse 14, let me repeat it again. Well, I haven't read the verse 14, but let's read it. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. Stop, we've got, we got to do that. <laughs> I love the way the Lord says that. He says, he looks down on each one of us and he said, you got the strength about of a worm. But you're Jacob and you're the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I love you, and you're with me, and I will be the strength for you. I will be your defense. Even though, and I know this is hard to accept, we're just a bunch of worms. You worm, Jacob, okay? You men of Israel, I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. The Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Yeshua of Nazareth, the Mashiach. He's the one coming back. He's the one who will utterly defeat and destroy his enemies, both spiritual and in the physical mortal form. Now, by the way, we have a personal relationship with him. Guys, let me tell you something spiritually. 
It's not what you know. It's who you know. You know, you look at me and you say, oh, Monty knows a lot of things about the Bible. I do. But that's not what really counts. <laughs> what really counts is my relationship with the Lord. Do I trust him? Do I really believe him? You know, can I be committed to him? Is he committed to me? And the same thing would be true of all of you. If you can get a solid relationship with the Messiah, you are in this zone. You've been chosen by God. You're strengthened by God. You're protected by God. And the reason he's doing it, are you ready? Because he made promises to our father Abraham about us. And for the sake of Abraham, the promise he made to them, we're going to benefit from it. So, very powerful Haftor portion that goes with our teaching about Abraham uh, and God's call upon his life. We will still, in the next couple of weeks of Abraham, still be talking about different parts of how God spoke with and dealt with Abraham. And until then, why we will see you next Shabbat. But this Shabbat, Shabbat Shalom. If you would please turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, to chapter 4, where our Brit Hadashah portion for this week will begin. Let me open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time uh, here, for each Arab Shabbat that we can come together, that we can study your word, study your instruction. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time, this opportunity, as we once again look and study our father Abraham. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you give to us in this place. It's in your son Yeshua that we pray. Amen. Our Torah portion for this week is Lech Lecha, which begins in Genesis chapter 12 and begins the story of Abraham. His name is Abram at the time. Later, it will be changed to Abraham. I think after the name was changed, I always have a tendency to still call him Abraham, even though at this time in the story, he was called Abram. It's the story of God calling him from out of his father's house, out of the country where he had been, and then bringing him into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, we have this amazing blessing that comes there at the beginning, talking about getting out of the country. I love reading this blessing. Let me go ahead and read the first three verses of Genesis 12. Once again, as we've heard this week already, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will cause those who bless you, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the beginning of, the, of our faith because through our father Abraham that we have in the Lord. God called Abraham and called him his friend. And he dwelt with, he went with him and he called him. We all could, should hope that in our own faith that we would have the same call that Abraham received to where the Lord spoke clearly, audibly, and said, Abram, get out of your father's house. I will bless you. This is what you are to do. And man, it's like if any of us walking in our, in our faith in the Lord ever have that call or ever hear that calling of the Lord, it's like that's just the confirmation that God is with us. God is watching over us. He's, he's protecting us and he's thinking about us. And we all should hope and pray that we would have that same testimony. 
When we get to Romans and we get to Paul in his letters and as he's uh, going and preaching the gospel uh, there in, to the Romans and to the Galatians and to all of these people who have now heard the testimony of Yeshua, of the salvation through him, Paul goes back and he references our father Abraham as a lesson to those who are now believers in Yeshua the Messiah. This is obviously for us, who many of us in the Messianic movement grew up in the Christian church, have a faith and a testimony of Yeshua, and we go through the same pattern when we go back and study the Torah on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, hear about our father Abraham, and that through the lessons of our father Abraham, we can learn what it means to have faith to believe in God, to believe in the promises of God, to have that kind of relationship with God, the one that Abraham had with God. I've said many times before, it's all about having a relationship with the Lord. It's all about the covenant that we have with God. We can talk about religion. We can talk about the things that we do, our practices, our customs, and and what we do and how we speak and how we uh, act with one another or how we act toward God. Ultimately, all of it boils down to is, what's your relationship with the Lord like? Do you have a working relationship with the Lord? Can you call upon the Lord and He will answer? And when the Lord calls upon you to do something, will you answer? What kind of relationship do you have with the Lord? So by obviously looking at our father Abraham, we look at this, the, 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 uh, the epitome of what a relationship with God should be and what it should look like. Now, as, we, as I say that, you might say, oh, well, I want to have a relationship with God like Abraham had. Well, you have to remember some of the things that Abraham had to do and just how much faith Abraham had to then you might realize, wait, do I really want to have the same relationship that Abraham had with the Lord? Because here's what happened with with some of these things. When, When he called Abraham, he was 75 years old when he was called and he was taken to the land and he says, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed and that you're in your seed and that you will be the, a father of many nations. That's why his name was changed to Abraham from Abram, where it was father and father of many. And then it's changed to father of many nations is what the meaning of the name is. And yet he didn't have any sons. He didn't have any heirs. He didn't have any children. Not until the promise came much later, came 25 years later. We have to know, we have to question, do you have the patience to wait 25 years for the promise of God to, uh, to, to be fulfilled? Well, man, it's in this day and age, we can't wait 25 minutes for, for a fast food order to come or anything else that we're wanting to happen. It's like we have no, pa- we have no patience to be able to wait on the Lord for, for something like that. I mean, you start to question, well, it's like if you felt like the Lord called you and then you heard it, it's like, are you even going to pay attention to it? I mean, do you, are you going to question, did I really hear from the Lord? If it didn't happen, you know, 25 minutes later, if it didn't happen the next year, if, if you had to wait 25 years for some promise that you think God told you, would you really have the patience to do it? Abraham did. That is what makes his faith so powerful. Let me read here now in Romans chapter 4, and we talk about what Paul is trying to teach the people of Rome. He's trying to teach them that no matter whether they are a Gentile or they are Jew, whether they're naturally born of Israel or not, that they have rights to the blessings by believing in Yeshua and that by having faith in the Messiah and that grace is being afforded to them. Because they didn't grow up with the law. They didn't grow up with all of this instru- the instruction of the law and by works and all of these things. And so 
Paul is trying to teach a very specific lesson here through our father Abraham, where it says this in Romans chapter 4, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Very interesting here. This is where he's starting to make this contrast between having faith and then performing works and and things physically, physical actions that you take to show whether do you truly believe in God and what kind of blessings come from God when you do one versus the other. Now, much of this conversation is all about salvation. It's all about whether you have salvation through the Messiah and that people in this, t- in this time and in Rome and in other places throughout the world, they somehow thought that it was by works you received salvation. It's what you do. It's what commandments you keep is what proves how saved you are. And the whole point of the Messiah and what Paul's words and everything that he is ever trying to say in these letters and here in the New Testament is trying to say, it's like, it's no, it's not by your works. It's not by your justified by works that somehow you will then receive the salvation of God and that you will have eternal life. No, it's the belief in Yeshua. It's the belief and the faith that you have that brings you salvation. Many people have used some of these words in these instructions to dispute whether we are now still under the law and that we actually keep the law of Moses if we now have Yeshua. We now have, many people have said over the years, or the, the idea of replacement theology, and this has been the words of the church for hundreds of years as well, <clears throat> is that now that we have replaced the law, we're now no longer under the law. You're not justified by works or that you don't have to do those things. Because you have grace and because you have Yeshua, that's what gives you salvation and everything is good. Well, the thing is this, is that that doesn't change the fact that it's the obedience of the law that shows God that you love Him, that you do listen, that you do obey we're not talking about salvation here, whether you have salvation and it's about who you believe in. Right there, the very last thing I said there in verse 4, it says this, but now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Okay, so it's not about grace. It's not about you do these works and then suddenly grace is then given to you. No, grace is freely given to you by God. We learned that from the previous Torah portion about Noah, that grace, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, what did, what did Noah do at that point in time? Well, we don't have any records of him that he somehow was this great uh, uh, keeper of all the commandments and all the laws and all of these things, and that, so, that somehow that grace was given to, to Noah. No, grace is freely given by God. That's when God chooses you, chooses you to be a part of his family. He chooses you. God chose us first. What we then have to do is then we have to then show that we, one, but receive that grace and that we believe in Him. But then what do you do? You then show by your actions that you do believe in Him, that you obey Him. And obedience produces blessing. That's when you receive the blessing of following what God has said. So when it says that your works are counted as debt, well, actually what that is is this, is that you do good, you, do, you obey the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, and then the wage that would come back to you is blessing. 
It's an exchange. It's, it, it's an exchange where you obey and then blessing is given. I read one article. I don't know if I agree with the language that, of, of what it was said, but somebody said this, is that when you obey, well, then God then owes you a debt of blessing to give back to you to reciprocate your obedience and what you did. Now, I don't know if I agree with the language that somehow we, as children of God, can then go to God and then say, oh, well, I obeyed the Lord. I obeyed you. So now you owe me a blessing. No, I would recommend that we never say that to God and that children, if they ever say that to their parents, are probably going to get themselves in trouble. Instead, what it is, is we're simply understanding the nature of the exchange is that your works in the flesh get paid, you get paid a debt basically in the flesh, blessings that come in the flesh. And I've said this about the, all of the commandments of the, of the Torah, is that if you follow the commandments of Torah, you will be blessed in this life, you absolutely will. If you don't kill anybody, well, then you won't be sent to prison. If you don't steal anything, well, then you'll actually have friends that trust you with their belongings and you'll have better relationships with all of the people that you know. <coughs> Excuse me. These blessings are all, this is how it works. You obey, you receive a blessing. You obey in the flesh, you do these works, you receive a blessing. The whole idea of believing in Yeshua doesn't replace that type of exchange. Just because we have faith in God, faith in Yeshua, and that we have received eternal life and that we've been adopted in to the family of God doesn't change the fact that when you do good, you receive good. You reap what you sow. That's a spiritual principle. And in fact, if we go back to the couple of verses before Romans chapter 4, Paul better explains this. As, as we're going into this and we're, talk, we're going to be talking about works, Verses, faith, and, and grace, and, and, and all of these things that some people have misconstrued all these words to mean that we don't have to be under the law, or we don't have to do the law. This is what he says here at the end of Romans chapter 3 that kind of clarifies this. And this is talking about boasting. This is talking about, I've done these works, so I deserve this. Like I just said, that's something we should not say to God, nor should a child say to his parent, nor anybody should boast about what we've done or what we've earned. It says this in the start of verse 27 of chapter 3. Where is boasting then? It, it is excluded by the law. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Or is he also God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. But do, uh, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Verse 31 of Romans chapter 3. This is the thing that kind of that, that, that caps this whole idea that he's having to say this to basically clarify, look, we're not talking about replacing the law. Do we make void the law through faith? No. The law is not voided because we have faith and we have the grace through the Messiah. <coughs> Excuse me. Certainly not. On the contrary, the works of faith establish the law. This is, that's the last thing he said before he started talking about Abraham here. So think about this for a minute, that Abraham, and he had his faith, he believed in God, he followed what God said, and he believed that there was God, and that he was leading him, and that there were promises that would be given to him, and all of these blessings would come. This is all happening before the law came at Mount Sinai. 
And all these things are happening. The faith of Abraham established the means and the precedent for us to then have the law of Moses. This is the order of things. This is what I believe Paul is trying to convey. He's trying to convey. Before even talking about Abraham, he's trying to say that, we look, we're not voiding the law here, but we're establishing the law. We're establishing the precedent for the law by talking about faith. So this is what we're talking about here, that if law, it was accounted to him for righteousness because he believed in God. That's what Abraham, that's the quote that it specifically says. Now, the, pas- the specific passage it's quoting from our Torah portion this week is actually from Genesis chapter 15. After some of these things have happened with Abram, Abram had come to, into the land. His nephew Lot came with him, which I've taught before that when it said that he was supposed to get away from his family, that he was supposed to leave his father's house, the whole idea of Lot coming with him, that should have never happened, honestly, because Lot was nothing but a, a burden to him in his life after coming into the land of Canaan. Lot got himself, they, they, there was strife between them, they split the house, Lot ended up going to dwell in the areas of Sodom and Gomorrah, then that got captured, and then it was captured by a king, and then Abram had to then go help to recapture all of these possessions and go save his nephew, and it's like if his nephew was never there, he wouldn't have had to do that, and so, <coughs> excuse me, all of those things all shouldn't have happened because Lot shouldn't have been with him. So some of these things that happened, Abram also went down to Egypt, to, because there was a great famine in the land. This is actually a pattern of all the, many of the patriarchs who had to go to Egypt to have their life spared, and even the Messiah himself, or in Matthew chapter 2, that because of the threat to his life, had to go to Egypt to have his life preserved. So there's an amazing parallel there. But what happened is, here in uh, Genesis chapter 15, is that a, the Lord comes to Abraham in a vision And he says to him, let me go now to Genesis 15, and this is where the specific wording and the specific phrasing comes from, the first six verses here. God speaking to Abram, he says this, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless? And the heir to my house is Eliezer of Damascus, that was his servant. And Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he he brought him outside, and he said, Look now toward the heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And And he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and it accounted to him for righteousness. That might be an argument where it'd be like, Okay, I don't have any kids. And then the Lord says, Well, look at all the stars if you can number them. That's your descendants. Now, he believed him. He didn't argue. He didn't say anything else after that. One thing he could have said, well, (laughs) good luck, Lord. I still don't have any kids. That could have been his rebuttal. But instead, he said he believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is the quote that's there we're talking about here in Romans. Here's something I want to point out. When we're talking about the works of Abraham, the faith of Abraham, what exactly had Abraham done up to this point? The whole idea of what Abraham has done is actually... It's what he hasn't done. Honestly, think about this. He packed up his family, and he, he did move, and he went, went to the land. But then he hadn't done anything specific, really, to necessarily w- to earn the blessing. Okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make sure I get the blessing from the Lord. 
He went down to Egypt. When he came back from Egypt, he actually received a whole lot of blessings coming out of Egypt. That was obviously a blessing from the Lord about Abraham's obedience. Then what happened after he rescued his nephew Lot and then met with Melchizedek, the, uh, the king of Salem and the, the uh, king of righteousness is what the name, of the, mean, the, the name is. At the end of chapter 14 in Genesis, what actually happened was this was that the king of Sodom wanted to give him all of these blessings because of helping to recover the blessings and saving his nephew Lot. But then Abram said, no, I don't want to receive those blessings. Those were blessings that came from the, that obviously Sodom and Gomorrah, the reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah was already prevalent, and that he wasn't going to receive those blessings. And so rather than thinking this was more blessing from God, he was wise and discerning to know that blessing is not for me. I'm not going to take those blessings. It was more about what Abraham didn't do than what he did do when it comes to the blessings and when it comes to his faith in the Lord. See, because the whole idea was, was that God promised these things to him, but then God is the one who's going to give them to you. God, this is always going to be a work of the Lord that's going to happen. This isn't going to be the work of men that is going to bring you the blessings and going to return the blessings to you. It's always going to be God. You're obeying God. You're not obeying men. And so Abraham, this was immediately following him rejecting these blessings. Chapter 15 of Genesis says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. After he had all rejected the, the, the reward trying to come from the king of Sodom. And so this is where God recognizes in Abram, Abraham truly what his faith is. It's a faith in God, not a faith in men. And that obviously through, the next, uh, through 25 years of waiting for his son to actually be born, obviously it was more about what Abraham didn't do, as in he didn't try to always get the blessing for himself. He didn't try to justify his relationship with God through his works. Instead, it was just his faith. Now, that didn't stop, of course, in the course of that time. It was at the prompting of his wife, Sarai, or Sarah, uh, it was what her name was changed to later, that in chapter 16 of Genesis, that then they were like, okay, well, um, I have, I don't have a, I'm barren, I don't have a child, and she gives her handmaiden, Hagar, to Abram so that he might then have an heir, and this is how Ishmael was born. But again, that's through the prompting of his wife, not through Abraham, and so the whole idea is that Abraham is still waiting on the Lord to give him the sign. The Lord is going to show this. The Lord is going to make this happen. And the Lord has made these promises that it's not Eliezer, and then it's also will be promised to him. It's not Ishmael that will be the son of promise, but it will be through your wife, Sarah, and through your seed will come the promise of the son. All of this faith all happened before works are trying to be done by Abram. He's not trying to earn his faith or earn his, what, what, he, what God has promised to him by doing works. Going back to Romans chapter 4, what continues on, uh, uh, Paul also mentions David here, talking about an instance and talking about David, how he also wasn't looking about the, it's not about one's deeds that earns them blessing. And because it says this, and there's, it's quoting from the Old Testament here in, in verse 7 of Romans 4, Blessed are those law, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. The blessing comes not by the deeds. The deeds are, are whether you sin, those are to be forgiven or be made no more. But the, then the blessing comes because of that 
but it's by your faith that you receive the salvation of the Lord. Verse 9 in Romans 4 now goes into talking about circumcision. See, because when we talk about the deeds that Abram did or Abraham did, one of the things you might do is that this was a physical act that Abraham was called to do that was a sign of the covenant that he had with God. It's a sign. It's a mark. It's a physical example of that we have covenant with God. It's the same reason why we exchange wedding rings in a wedding so that there is a physical sign of a relationship or a physical sign of a covenant. But Paul here is very specifically explaining that we are talking about that it's not about being circumcised on whether faith is counted for you. But once again, he's proving the point. It's not about works. It's about having faith, believing in the promises of God and receiving the grace from God. Romans 4 verse 9, does the blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? This is back to the Jew and Gentile thing that I read earlier. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. This is a direct argument to anybody that might say, you can't come into the family of God. You can't be a believer until you've gone through circumcision. This is where somebody who, anybody who might have the sign of circumcision, who might say, this is the sign that we are the people of God, that we are the children of Abraham, because obviously in ancient times and still to this day, that you do that and you perform that act and you obey that commandment so that you might be a son and an heir to Abraham. He's the father of circumcision. You do this. You then prove that you are a son of Abraham. You believe in him and you're obeying the, what has been given to Abraham. So the idea is this, is that we then have faith in Yeshua. We then come into, come into the family through the blood of Yeshua. And then some people might say, well, I've been circumcised since the eighth day. You have not. You don't get to be in the family of Abraham unless you are circumcised. This is, the, this is certainly an argument that has been made before. You must have this sign. You must walk in this way. You must be this way. And then Paul is disputing that, however. Paul is speaking to the fact of this. Abram received the blessings, received grace from God, received all of these things, and was, faith was counted to him for righteousness. Back in Genesis chapter 15, he had not yet been circumcised yet. That circumcision, that sign of the covenant is something that comes later. It's something that comes after you have proven you're in covenant with God. It's one of those things. It's like, you know, you form a relationship with your spouse. You have that relationship. You start moving toward marriage long before you ever give them the ring. And there's other things that you, that you act a certain way and you're in covenant with, and then you later show and you celebrate anniversaries or you give other gifts or there's other signs that show the covenant that you have with them. If you remember the children of Israel, they weren't circumcised in the wilderness. 
they were circumcised in the land. Joshua circumcised the, the, in Joshua chapter 5, circumcised all the sons of Israel that crossed over the Jordan from the, from the wilderness. That was also teaches us about how circumcision is a sign that connects the children of Israel to the land, of, to, to the promised land. But also, it's the, it's the idea of this. Does that mean God wasn't in covenant with Israel while they were in the wilderness? Of course not. There were many men among the children of Israel in the wilderness, seeing the miracles of God, believing in God, preparing their hearts to go into the promised land, all while yet uncircumcised. So the whole idea of that, that that is somehow the first thing that somebody must do to show they're in covenant with God, that is what Paul is disputing here. God gives and grants the grants grace, grants favor, grants blessing, and invites people in to be heirs into the kingdom, into the family of God, even if they're not yet showing the signs of it. It's both to the Gentile and the Jew alike. Now, does that mean that the Gentiles are now greater than the Jews and that we are now talking about how everything the Jews have ever done in following the law and circumcising their sons on the eighth day, that all of that is null and void and doesn't matter anymore because we now have Yeshua and we now have all these other people coming into the faith? No, one does not replace the other. God forbid, Paul says. God forbid that the, that the grace that we're talking about given to uncircumcised people voids the law of circumcision. It does not. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to show that this is a much broader picture. This is that the, the, the salvation and the gospel message, yes, went to the Jew first, but then it's to go to all Gentiles as well. That's why we're writing a letter to the Romans. That's why we also write a letter to the Corinthians and to the Galatians. And as you look down the tabs of your Bible and every other group of people who were not naturally born Jews needed to receive the message. The whole point here of Romans is that he is trying to teach us to be children of God, to be invited into the family of God. Going ahead to chapter 8 of Romans, everything that he's speaking to is leading to the point that you are now sons of the living God, heirs to the kingdom, sons of adoption, and all have been brought in to the family of Abraham through Yeshua. This is, what I, this is how I actually like to, to, to think of it this way. When we're talking about being messianic, we have the testimony of Yeshua, but then we study Abraham, our father Abraham, and the commandments through Moses and, and all of these things. And we have this covenant, this amazing covenant, this everlasting covenant that it was given to us through Abraham. And then the Messiah comes along and he's giving us a new covenant. It's a renewed covenant. One doesn't replace the other. But ultimately, if we're going back to the God of the Old Testament, who called this man Abraham to be his friend, to be in covenant with Abraham, and it was Abraham is like the the pinnacle of the man that we are aspiring to be that had faith and believed in God and God was in covenant with him. That's kind of what we look to Abraham. Abraham's the, the father of that. He gives us that first real example of that. And so we want to be children of Abraham. The covenant of Abraham, all the families of the earth get to be blessed in his seed. Does that mean he's literally the father of all nations? No, but it's his, through his seed that all families are blessed because it's in his seed that came the Messiah that allowed for all families to come into the family and receive the blessings of Abraham. That's the pattern. That's how it works. Another way I like to look at it is this, is that Yeshua is a sign for us to follow. Many of us coming into faith in Yeshua, it's like Yeshua is this bright light that's sitting on top of a mountain. And we might be scattered in a wilderness, in a valley, in a wasteland, not knowing where to go, 
but then we see a light on the horizon. So what we do is we're going to follow that light. We're going to follow Yeshua. We're going to follow that example. And this is why I believe there is nothing wrong with people first coming into faith in Yeshua, then learning about Torah and following the commandments. Just because it chronologically came second in our Bibles doesn't mean that, you, that that's the exact pattern that it works for all people. For the Jews, yes, they start with Torah, and then if they then learn and realize the Torah points to Yeshua, then they receive that salvation. You can go that way. You also have people that learn about the salvation of Yeshua and then are continuing to dig deeper into the roots of their faith and then discover Torah and the commandments and all the covenants that came in the Old, in the Old Testament, that it all is compatible and it all helps you to understand all of the Scripture and all of the power and glory of God. There's no wrong way to do it. One, it's, it's not wrong to do it one way or the other. So the idea is this. We follow after Yeshua. We see Yeshua bright light. When you follow and you get closer and closer to that mountain where Yeshua is, we're not worthy enough to go up that mountain. But you know what we find? We find an entire community of people in the covenant of Abraham at the base of that mountain. We are led into the family of Abraham, and we, were, we find other believers who walk with us, who go with us in that belief, in that faith, but it was because the leading of Yeshua that pointed us to the covenant of Abraham. Now, that doesn't mean that Abraham was greater than Yeshua. God forbid, that's not what I'm saying. Some might think that. It's like, oh, because he was the father the, the physical seed and the, the father that makes one greater than the other. No, we got to stop with this idea that we have to create a contrast and that one is greater than another or one replaces another. It doesn't work that way. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of heaven and earth, is the same God of the Old Testament, is the same God of the New Testament. It's all one God. Why do we keep pretending that one is, replaces the other? That's not what Paul said at the end of Romans chapter 3. And let us not ever misconstrue these words that Paul is speaking to the Romans, where he is trying to speak to the fact that we must have faith in Yeshua and in the promises of God, like our father Abraham did. Now, Abraham also performed works. He also did things and did signs and did the covenant. But those works don't justify our faith. They don't justify the us in, in, in who we are and what our standing is before God. Our faith is what puts us in the standing before God. It's our works that give us blessing. It's our works that show to our other brethren. It's almost more, it's like that, it's that sign. It's that sign that we show. Who do you believe in? That's everything that it is. Whenever somebody says, well, I believe in God. Well, okay, you believe in God. Well, show me what commandments he has commanded you and what you actually do, and I'll tell you whether you believe in God, whether you follow him, and whether you obey him. That's, that's what it's all about. He has called us. He is our Father. He is our Heavenly Father. He has called us to obey him. If we choose not to obey him, then we don't receive the blessing. Or sometimes we might even get punished. Does that change the fact that he's our Father? No. It is our faith that is counted for us for righteousness, that calls, that allows us to be in standing for us to call him our father. It's the obedience that produces blessing. So people trying to justify themselves by their obedience, like I'm your son because I, because, uh, I obey you. Well, however, you could, there's a lot of people running around in the world today that might say, well, I do all of these great things 
And so then that means that justifies me and who I am and who I have a relationship with. It's like, no, you, you could say that. You think that your works justify you. No, it's, do you have faith? Do you actually have that covenant relationship with that person? Well, that's what we need to have with the Lord our God. Now, it continues on here in Romans chapter 4. My time is, is running short here, where it continues to give some more of these examples that it says he was going to make him the father of many nations and that it's, again, what I already said, that it's through his seed and that all those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all, is the, those who are in the family of God. That's what we have to understand and that it's like that, that there was, um, let me read this one part here. Um, it started verse 19 of Romans chapter 4. It says this, And not being weak in faith... He did not consider his own body already dead since he was already a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he had promised he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Again, if we look at deeds, if we look at what's capable of being done, Abraham being 100 years old, probably not able to father children. His wife was 90 years old. Her womb was closed, and she had passed the age of childbearing. He could look at the deeds and say, this can't be done. It can't be done. Not with, with, this, with what we have, we cannot fulfill this promise. That would be someone who's focusing on the deeds and the works and what people are capable of doing. Instead, he did not waver. He gave all glory to God, and he still believed in God that it was still possible. I heard recently somebody came into the office and, and, and mentioned this, and he says, look, all I'm trying to do when it comes to what God's doing in my life, all I got to do is get out of the way and let God work. That's how God receives all the glory. That's what God receives the glory if we get out of the way of what God is trying to do. That's kind of the point that I want to make about our father Abraham. The whole, he got out of the way for 25 years. His whole job was basically to get out of the way so the Lord could work. So 25 years later, it could be fulfilled and he would have his promised son and he would have his son, Isaac. He just needed to, when God called him, he obeyed. But then if there's anything else going on, maybe his, uh, hearing this from his friend, this deal with Lot, anything happening with his wife, Sarah, all he needed to do was get out of the way so God could be glorified. Sometimes it's not about what you do, it's about what you don't do. All fall into the category of works and deeds. We should never try to justify ourselves by doing more than we're supposed to or doing less when God calls us to do something specific. And it's not that we do those things out of obedience so that we receive the blessing of those things and of that obedience. But ultimately, our faith is to be in God and in the Lord and we should be believing that he will do what he has said he will do. When he has promised that he will return, when he has promised that, um, that, we will be, that we will be blessed or will be given eternal life and that we believe these things and we have the faith and we, in our prayer life, we have this relationship with God. Ultimately, we should never be, well, I did this, Lord, and we're justified by what we do. No. It's getting out of the way of the Lord, letting him work. And when he calls for us to obey, we obey. And then we never try to do more than we're supposed to to try and make the promises happen. No matter if we're looking for the return of the Lord, anything that we do 
in our lives to prepare for the return of the Lord isn't going to make the Lord come faster. Those works are not going to prove that we're ready. Spiritually, we must be ready by having the same faith that our father Abraham had. And if we have that faith, then it's counted us for righteousness and it is the right thing to do. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for this passage of Scripture, for this instruction. We thank you for our father Abraham, Lord, and the example that he is to us. Father, I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us, Father. Father, may we obey when you call, and Father, may we stay out of your way when you have called us to wait or be patient, Father. May we always exemplify the fruits of the Spirit, Lord, to be long-suffering and patient, Father, just as our father Abraham was, as we wait for your promises to be fulfilled. Father, may we have faith. May our faith be counted as righteousness for you, Father, to to you, and, and Father, we thank you for your grace, your unmerited favor. We thank you for inviting us into your family to be heirs to the kingdom of the inheritance that you have offered to us. Father, we thank you for all of these blessings that you give to us, Lord. Father, may we be encouraged and strengthened in our faith each and every week as we study your word and your instruction. And Father, I pray that everyone receives a wonderful blessing on this Sabbath day. We thank you for all of these things. It's in your son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.